All right, we're good now. Um, as Pastor Josh said, my name is Shay. If you don't know me, I oversee the young adults ministry at our church. So anyone 18 to 30, we meet on Friday nights. We're actually breaking the rules and not going on Wednesdays with the rest of the church. We're doing our own thing on Fridays. Um, but if you fall within that category, we would love for you to join us. Um, it's a wonderful time together and truly a blessing. Um, how are you guys doing this morning? Let's start there. We're doing all, doing all right? The rain's not getting us down. Uh, youth Pastor Noah's doing great over there. Dude's been sick for like a month, but he's back. Um, amen. So today, uh, to get into things, um, we are actually going to talk a little bit about the topic of freedom um, and a couple different dynamic aspects of what is freedom, how do we attain freedom, you know, all those ins and outs. Um, because in our culture, especially as we've seen over the past um, few years and for some of my older folk, probably the past few decades, um, freedom is a big topic of conversation, especially here in America. Um, we saw that over, over, over COVID, there was this huge divide between what, who, who's free and who's not, or what should be our rights as we are free. Um, but oftentimes, um, though we are so proud to express that freedom as Americans, um, we don't often talk about what is freedom. Uh, some people connect their freedom to the ability to voice their opinions without fear of discrimination or punishment. Others see it as their, their license to do as they please regarding whatever beliefs they choose to ascribe to, um, mainly living in autonomy um, to the best of their abilities. Uh, some connect freedom to their inalienable rights, like the rights that we have, um, that when we're born, we receive these, and these ought not to be taken from us. But whatever it is, freedom has become something that many of us aspire towards, and that once obtained, we scarcely give up our freedoms. Um, but what if I were to say that the freedom that we often seek with such vigor and tenacity um, isn't actually the freedom that we need? What if I were to go as far as to say that this kind of freedom actually isn't freedom at all? Many have grown up being inculcated by this belief that we all need freedom and that freedom we need is a desire that's this sense of autonomy from other people um, and that when we follow our hearts, we know what's best for us. Um, but I would like to propose that whatever pursuit of this type of freedom is, it's not only not worth it, but it could actually be detrimental to what it is that our souls need and what we truly desire. And so with that being said, if, we could, if you guys could open up to Romans 6 with me, I want to take a little bit deeper look at freedom. Um, if you guys need a Bible, there's a Bible in front of, or there should be Bibles in the back of the seats. We'll have it on the screen too, but I, I personally prefer opening up. So a little context on Romans 6. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the church in Rome from Corinth for what seems to be a multitude of reasons. Um, at this time, the church in Rome, along with other churches, were having conflicts between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Um, the two groups were struggling over the topic of what does it look like to serve and follow God through the gospel. The Gentile Christians 
believed that they were free from the laws and regulations and that through grace they were free to live how they pleased. The Jewish Christians believed that they were now saved by Christ and that they were to go on and live in a way that was honoring to God through the laws and regulations that he gives. Um, both, so clearly, you know, very different sides of the spectrum. Both of these sides had conflict with each other because they were called to live together in peace and unity. Um, so that's part of the reason why Paul wrote this letter of Romans, to confront that there's actually faulty ideologies on both sides. Um, according to a commentator named Leon Morris, the book of Romans can actually be broken down into five sections. Um, it starts with sin, it then goes on to talk about salvation, and then sanctification, and then like God's sovereignty, and then uh, Christian service. Um, so the first section talks about sin. It talks about the sin of the Gentiles, then it talks about the sin of the Jews, and then it talks about the sin of all mankind. So it's basically, here's these groups, and it's saying, you guys think you got it right? Look at these sins. It's like, you guys think you got it right? Look at these sins. Now look, we're not actually all that different because we all fall short and are sinful. Um, we are all in need of the same thing, which is salvation, um, which in turn is the section that follows. Um, in chapter 3, it talks about uh, the grace that has been brought on behalf of these sins, um, the fulfillment of Christ and how his righteousness is given or imputed um, to those who put their faith in him. And then, so after salvation, starting in chapter 6, where we're at right now, um, it starts to talk about sanctification, which is the idea of being made to look like Christ more and more as we go through. Um, this is a, a pretty important part of what the Christian life looks like, um, because this is, should be the result of the grace and salvation that we receive. So... Uh, the end of the previous section, so chapter 5 ends to lead into this, talking about this idea that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So in Christ, it's like though there is sin, God's grace is showed in glory and magnitude when that sin meets. So when we start in chapter 6, uh, it talks about like should, therefore, like if, if it's all about God's grace and glorifying his grace, should we sin more so that we see more grace? Um, this actually kicks off uh, a series of questions, like this idea, if grace is this big, does that mean that sin is not as big of a deal? Um, and this kicks off questions that Paul continues to answer with a Greek term, meganoita, which means by no means. Like, it's not just no, you shouldn't. It's like by no means should this continue. And so that... Here, Paul is speaking out about life after salvation. Um, so that kicks us off where we're at. Uh, we're going to start in verse 15. Um, I actually don't have time to read the whole chapter, but the first 14 verses also give a lot of context to what we're talking about today. So starting in verse 15, it says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations." 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin have be, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sorry, it's a little warm up here with these lights. So as I said, Paul is beginning with one of his rhetorical questions in order to emphasize the absurdity of these claims. Um, he addresses this idea by basing it in the audience's understanding of what grace is. So by asking, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul is su supposing a view of grace that it, grace is like kind of like a license to sin. Like we're good to sin because now we have grace and Jesus died for our sins, so we should be good, right? Um, and... This is actually a misunderstanding of what grace is. Um, and it's kind of understandable in this context. Like, like, grace is made to look so huge. So it should make sense that sin shouldn't matter anymore, right? Um, but we could actually see this in the previous, previous section. Like I said, the first half of chapter 6 addresses this. And without going in very deep, I'll give you just a quick quote from a theologian named Charles Spurgeon. Um, that kind of sums that idea up. He says, if Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. The sin uh, in chapter 6 at the beginning, it says that as Christ has died, we have died with him. And when we have died, we have died to sin. So why would we longer live in sin? It's sin that hung Christ on the cross. So why... Um, do we often see grace as a reason for us to continue in that sin? Um, well, throughout the first five chapters of Romans, like I said, Paul sets the stage emphasizing the magnitude and power of God's grace. And this is so that we may see just how abundant that grace is, how freely God gives that grace. Um, however, people then and even now still tend to see God's grace um, in an incomplete fashion. Um, we tend to latch onto one aspect of grace and think that that fully encompasses the idea. Um, so I want to kind of unpack grace a little bit before getting back into this idea of freedom. Um, the commonly understood definition of grace is unmerited favor or undeserved blessing. But that, that idea kind of seems like it's become a bit cliched. Um, and so we might have lost an understanding of what that actually means. And so I'm going to give a little analogy to try to paint this picture. So imagine, you know, you go and you turn 18. Um, when you turn 18, uh, say your loving dad buys you a new car. It's like you didn't, you know, you didn't deserve this. And for some of us, maybe we feel like, you know, our parents owe us this. Newsflash, they don't. They do not. Um, but out of the lovingness of his heart, he buys you a car. Um, and you're going, having fun, driving this car around town, doing your thing. Um, one day you come home, uh, and without realizing, you rear-end your dad's parked car when you're coming home. You know, not a great situation. Uh, say, you rear-end this car, your dad walks out, and 
if your dad were to come out and say, hey, man, it's up to you. You got to pay for this. You got to pay for my car. You got to pay for your car. That's justice. That's, that's what you deserve in that situation. It was your fault. Your dad walks out, and he's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Like, don't worry about my car. You take care of your stuff. That's mercy because you're getting what you don't deserve. You should be paying for that car, but he's not making you pay for that car. That's mercy. If your dad was to walk out and see what happened and is like, you know what? I'm going to pay for this. I'm also going to pay for your car, and I'll cover your traveling until your car gets fixed. That's grace. Not only are we not getting what we deserve, but we are given this additional blessing on top of that. We're given a gift that we definitely don't deserve. And so that, that kind of expands the, the idea of grace because grace highlights both who God is and who we are. It shows how undeserving we are and how often we fall short while at the same time showing how kind and compassionate and generous God is. So in that sense, we could and probably should see a lot more things as a result of God's grace, recognizing that nothing that we have is owed to us. The air we breathe is an expression of God's grace. The job we have is grace. The friends and family in our life are grace. Being able to meet like this in church and freely praise God and read the Bible is grace. The ability to go to the gym or go for a run or go play with your kids, that's God's grace being poured out upon you. Um, having someone else come down to earth to take the punishment and death that we deserve is God's grace. That one seems a little more, you know, commonly talked about, but all of this expresses the idea that God is giving us things that we don't deserve, that nothing in us causes God to owe these things to us. And, you know, this could honestly be expounded upon throughout a whole sermon series, um, but obviously I don't have the, um, the ability to do so. But basically what I want to say is that God's grace is lavished upon our lives in far more ways than we can imagine. So what I will do, however, is give you just a brief breakdown of grace. Um, this is not fully encapsulating, but this is coming... Uh, this is giving a little more full, robust idea of grace, especially in light of these pa this passage, because I'm going to talk about three things that, are, that could all be found in this passage. First, grace is expressed through forgiveness. That this is like the most common understanding of grace. You know, when people are, when someone wrongs you and they're like, oh, give them grace. You know, that's what we think of. It's like grace is forgiveness. Um, and this is all emphasized all throughout Christian ideology or theology, that, like, if you don't get this, we miss the whole thing. Um, that no matter how big our sins were or are or will be, that God in his grace through Christ is able to free us of that condemnation, forgive us, and restore us to righteousness. So that, that should be an easy-to-digest uh, aspect of grace because that's, that's what we often see grace as. Um, secondly, though, grace is freedom. Um, grace brings about freedom. This is freedom from our sins and our old ways of life. Uh, and this freedom may be misappropriated. This is freedom, from, not freedom to sin, um, because there's a difference. Um, all throughout 
the Bible, it talks about, or the New Testament, I should say, talks about this idea of being a new creation in Christ, being a new, a new man, a new person, and that the old person has been put aside or been put away because we have been restored in Christ. And this, this is an aspect of grace, that the fact that we are free from sin and free from condemnation is nothing short of God's grace. And the third aspect of grace that I want to talk to or talk about, especially in relation to sin, is that grace's power, or maybe better said, grace's empowerment, um, and this is commonly forgotten about, misunderstood, or just unknown aspect of grace, um, because it is only by God's grace that we've been forgiven and set free, and so it's God's grace that it empowers us to walk in that freedom and holiness, um, because this is key to understanding grace because without it, we might be free from our sins until our flesh draws us back into them um, because we, by nature, are sinful. Um, so this, this empowerment ba- basically brings this freedom into light. Be- and also, this walking in holiness um, is expressing the power of God to show that sin no longer has dominion over our lives. Um, And it it just shows, like, the efficacy or effectiveness of God's grace. And so God, through his grace, forgives us of our sins, frees us from our sins, and empowers us to walk in holiness. And just so you guys know, this isn't a sermon about cleaning up your life and getting rid of sin. um, Because we we need to look deeper into grace if we're going to understand our true freedom. But at the same time, I want to give a clear picture as to what sin is like. So coming back to this passage, like I said, Paul starts um, by using his emphatic response of by no means. And then after this response, he actually introduces the topic of slavery into the conversation. Um, And he kind of explains a bit about slavery, how it works. And slavery in that time wasn't necessarily like how we think of slavery today. Um, like there, there were in fact times of mistreatment and unjust abuse, but oftentimes slavery was more so servantship, um, where the slave or the servant was paying off a debt or um, doing something uh, to, to make things right with the slave owner, um, in which at some point they would be released. Um, so it was out of a need on their part. It wasn't quite entrapment like how we often think of slavery. Um, But in this case, and even in in our understanding of slavery, slaves are to be obedient to their masters. Um, And whatever the call to action is, uh, it's because the slaves are not indebted to the actions themselves, but the masters commanding the actions. And so uh, as we move forward, Paul creates a bit of a divide between these two options that we have as people. There's slavery of sin, which leads to death or slavery of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Um, And here is the problem that we face when we talk about freedom. Um, Because we we think of freedom as autonomy, you know, freedom to do as we please. Um, But Paul isn't really painting the picture in that way. Paul is basically saying, well, you can be slaves to sin, or slaves to obedience. And later it calls it slaves to righteousness. Um, And there's not much in between there. And so 
we tend to disillusion ourselves when we grab onto this uh, worldly freedom that we seek, because in one way or another, we, we, are, we are slaves. Um, and don't worry that this, this will come back around at the end to not be so uh, down, off-putting, I guess. Um, we're either slaves to sin or slaves to obedience, and our actions follow whichever master that we serve. Um, so in a world where we so desperately want to live unimpeded in our own ways, we can unknowingly idolize these freedoms when we're really becoming slaves to our sinful desires. We get so consumed about whether or not we're free in an earthly sense or we have to wear a mask or not or we have to go into this building or these people have to respect our freedoms and our opinions that, that we miss the whole picture. And if anything, it leads us to miss the idea that we are free in Christ, that this thing becomes such a big thing, that the freedom in Christ that we have starts to get overlooked or even or just minimized. And this happens all throughout our life, whether it's a toddler or a teenager or an adult at their job. It's like we don't want people to tell us what to do, especially when it disagrees with what we think we should be doing. And so if this is how we respond when it comes to other people, how much more so when it comes to the sin that's been in our life? Um, but going on in verse 17, thanks be to God that Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin. That once, once we were slaves to sin, we have become obedient from the heart. Um, and that, that obedience comes from a it doesn't come from, from, I need to get this together. I need to do the right thing. I need to be a good Christian. It comes from that grace and the change that God has done in our heart that what seemed so right at one point has become so wrong. And what seems so burdensome at some point has actually become what we desire. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious as if, if we've kind of experienced that in Christ, that, that internal change that brings us from one side to the other. Um, sometimes, like I said, it could be something that seems beneficial that we desire, and then later on we're giving clarity to see how harmful that really was. Um, just to give a little context of my relationship with grace and freedom. Um, uh, for some of you who know, I went to college in Missouri for a number of years. Uh, I guess three years, that's the number. Um, I went to college in Missouri, and when I was out there, uh, I had... Messy experiences, you know, wasn't, wasn't walking with Christ. I understood grace as Jesus died for my sins so I can do what I want. Um, that's what I heard my whole life. And so uh, when I was out there, I got into a relationship with someone. And it was a wonderful relationship with a wonderful girl. Um, and about a year or so into the relationship, uh, she developed a seizure disorder. And, uh, and I was like, if I'm going to be a good boyfriend, I have to stick by this. Um, and then that actually kicked off a big spiral for both of us of life being so much more painful and messy and difficult than, than it needed to be for either of us. Um, but both of us were kind of like committed to the relationship despite the ups and downs. Um, and that was turned up being bad for both of us. Um, it sent us you know, like huge mental health problems, trauma, depression, having like I ended up going into therapy for what I think ended up being like almost two years after that. Um, 
but I thought that this was such a good relationship, that this is what I needed to pursue. This is what God had put in front of me um, to reach after, and I just have to work harder because, you know, I love this person. Um, also, it's different for marriage. I wasn't married. Just put that straight for a second. Um, but it wasn't until being removed from that circumstance that I realized how harmful this was for me, that something that what I thought was giving me so much life was actually ripping me apart. Um, and that is often the relationship we could have with sin. That, that maybe what we think we need, maybe this freedom that we think we need is not actually what it is that we need. Um, and so moving on, verse 20 um, speaks of the life of freedom that many people seem to seek, uh, which is a life characterized by freedom from righteousness. Uh, but that life, it says, it leads to death. And interestingly enough, that type of freedom is actually slavery. Um, slavery to sin, slavery to a life that we feel may be satisfying, but is actually leading us further and further from what we desire, which is wholeness in Christ. Um, but what about the alternative? It talks about being a slave to God. Like, how can that be freedom if it's willingly entering into slavery? I feel like in our culture, that, that can be a contentious idea. Um, but the answer is because of the terms and conditions of this slavery. Slavery to God means having a master who's advocating for you, one who's sanctifying you and who loves you enough to send his son down to die that you may have eternal life with him. Um, and all of that is brought together in the final verse of the passage, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Those who are in sin are enslaved to that master and on a road or a path to death. The free gift of God, however, is eternal life. And that eternal life comes from a life with Christ, a life of freedom, a life as a slave to righteousness. I actually saw a quote from a pastor yesterday on Instagram, um, and it just felt fitting given this, the context of this message. It said, grace is only amazing to you when you realize how much of a wretch you are. Um, when you realize your sin and need for a savior, that's when grace becomes bigger. It's essentially saying that when we, when we look at sin for what it truly is, and we see the reality of sin in our lives, only then will we see the beauty of the grace that God gives us. And, you know, still this topic of freedom could get contentious because it's like, if I'm free, I should be free to choose whether I sin or don't sin. Um, but let me just give a quick picture of th come, coming to the end of time with the new heavens and new earth. God has, the old has passed away. God has restored us to walk with him forever. Um, in that time, will we be sinning? You know? Because, because it's like, I should be free to sin or not to sin. That's what being free is. But when we're truly with God in wholeness, in completion, is, will we be sinning then? It's like, I would say no. Because at that time, we'll no longer have that desire to sin. Our freedom will be to freely live how God has made us and created us to live in that purpose. And so, just to be clear, this isn't saying to figure your life out and stop sinning now. But to encourage us that a life of sin is no longer what identifies us, nor should it identify us. It's our relationship with Christ and the freedom in him 
that we're identified by, as this is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That true freedom in Christ and how important that is to the life of a Christian can color the way that we see the world, the way that we walk through our life, the way that we interact with others. And so in closing, I just want to leave a couple quotes. Uh, The first is from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Oh, what a freedom is thine, freedom from condemnation, freedom to the promises of God, freedom to the throne of grace, and at last, freedom to enter heaven. Freedom in Christ is entering and being in communion with an almighty and sovereign God who is above all things and wants to be still present with us. John Piper goes on to say, and this one is going to sound a little confusing, but I'll explain it. Uh, He says, the only freedom that lasts comes from pursuing what we want when we want what we ought to. So that's basically saying that when God is shaping our hearts, changing our hearts, he changes our desires. And true freedom comes from wanting the things that, that God wants for us. Because that freedom is, is, that slavery to righteousness is truly freedom as we are walking in the way that God has created us to, both for his glory and for our good. When we seek freedom, often what we seek is a license to do what we please um, without punishment or restriction. What God seeks to do for us, um, oh, I lost it. <laughs> um, when God see, what God seeks for us is the liberty to do as we please and to do what we were made to do, which is to glorify him. The first one pursues fleshly desires and sin. The second pursues godly desires, sanctification, and eternal life. And this is all founded upon the grace that God has given us. It's all grounded in the fact that apart from God's grace, we can't walk in that freedom. So what is freedom? According to John Piper, freedom is being so in love with Christ that you do exactly what you want to do, and it falls in line with, what, with Christ and what he wants for us. And this is all done by the power of his grace. Apart from his grace, we cannot be free nor have the power to walk in that freedom. So brothers and sisters, let us walk in that freedom today, knowing that as a slave to Christ, only then are we actually free. Um, Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for sending your son as a sacrifice for us that that we may truly be free, Um, that you've set us free from, from this slavery to sin, Lord, and you have brought us into this life with you. Uh, I pray that um, you give us eyes to seek your kingdom first, um, that whatever things that we feel like may be pulling us or, or drawing us in um, in a worldly sense, Lord, I pray that you would set us free from that as we are not slaves to our desires, we're not slaves to our sin, but by your grace, um, we are slaves to righteousness. We are free in you. So, Lord, we, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for just how kind um, you continually are to us um, and for how abundant that grace is, Lord. Um, I pray that for all of us that, that you um, grow our understanding and our um, view of grace, that we may see you more clearly. Um, we thank you and we love you, and we thank you for loving us so much more. 
And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.